Stay prepared for the up and down Life is like a seesaw Some say it's a bitch, man I couldn't agree more One minute to run What's going on, guys? This is just another critic And we're back with another episode Going into week one Just came out of week zero With matchups between Miami and Florida where we saw basically a you know super sloppy game between two teams that we weren't really sure what we were going to get. Obviously lots of hype behind Florida, Felipe Franks, and they were going to be one of the teams to compete in the East this year. But I think at this point we can all agree that um, we're pretty sure Georgia's going to go ahead and dominate that side of the, of the conference again. Um, and then obviously we had a pretty cool finish in Hawaii with Arizona versus Hawaii coming down to the last second. Khalil Tate getting stopped on the one-yard line. Um, but yeah, not much primetime games. As far as week one, man, it's stacked, right? Stacked with pretty uh, amazing matchups. And we'll be getting college football from Monday, uh, excuse me, from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I believe even Monday. So we've got college football for the next five uh, days, and that's going to be exciting. And so today, as you can already see, I'm going to be going over my week one predictions. Um, just to give you an idea of my predictions, last season I covered 68 games. And the reason that may seem so little is because I really only tried to cover the games that have implications right that actually matter um, and they're typically uh, matchups between ranked teams or a ranked team that's going to into a game against maybe a not ranked team that uh, you know should be ranked type of thing um, but anyway yeah my point being is that I really only try and cover games that actually matter and that actually have implications whether it be towards in-conference play or the you know the college football playoff as a whole. Um, last year my record was forty nine and nineteen, and so I believe that's a seventy two percent win percentage, and that's just a straight up picking um, win loss, not necessarily going against the spread. I do um, do point predictions, and I actually have gotten uh, the score correct exactly on a few occasions last year, which is pretty crazy. Um, but as far as what I'm doing today, I'll be covering five matchups and, um, well, a total of about eight matchups going in depth for about five of them. And my first matchup that I wanted to talk about is the Northwestern and Stanford game. And Stanford's coming in ranked at 25th. I believe that's from the AP poll. And it's it's kind of crazy that they aren't really they haven't really give respect to Northwestern, especially what they've been able to do throughout the past two seasons. Uh, before last season, finished ten and three, and then closing out last season in the Big Ten championship, and then leaving them unranked this year. Uh, I can understand that, as they have lost their quarterback um, Thorson, who was pretty much their guy for the past three years. Um, however, Northwestern as a whole does return 12 starters, six on each side of the ball. But with Thorson gone, they bring in sophomore transfer Hunter Johnson, who was a five-star dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. 
So on paper, he's probably one of the highest rated quarterbacks to play at Northwestern, if not the highest. Also, uh, they'll be bringing back their running back, Isaiah Bowser. Uh, But as far as Hunter Johnson goes, obviously with the five-star next to anybody's name comes hype, right? And so as much as I'd love to see this kid go off this year, we just we just don't know what we're going to get until we see him hit the field and take significant snaps in, you know, his first reps as a college quarterback. So, we'll see how he does there. Um their last head-to-head versus Stanford was won by Northwestern. That was 16 to 6 in 2015. As far as on the defensive side of the ball, they're looking pretty good. They return all five of their top five tacklers from a year ago, including their sack leader, um, and bring back their two leaders on defense um, at the linebacker position in Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher, both guys who finished with 100-plus tackles a season ago. So as a defensive unit, they are expected to be a top 25 defense by the end of the 19 season Um, and then moving over to Stanford they return a total of nine starters from last year four on offense five on defense losing their two leading tacklers on defense but they do return a quality guy in the secondary uh, by the name of Paulson Adebo who had 20 pass breakups last season which is pretty ridiculous as well as their leader in sacks Gabe Reed and then the rest of it is is mostly just new guys new faces expected to step up and um, obviously fill into their roles Uh, on offense KJ Costello uh, most people are pretty familiar with the name quarterback at Stanford he's gonna return but he does lose his top three wide receivers from last season and at this point, I'm I'm really expecting their tight end, Colby Parkinson, to get a lot of targets early in the season, while obviously KJ is going to be able to grow more comfortable with the newer guys at the wideout positions. Um, of course, they have Osiris St. Brown, who is the brother of Amon Ra St. Brown over at USC, and so they're looking for him to step into his potential. Uh, and then Bryce Love's gone, so of course that's a massive amount of production that they're going to be looking to replace with their senior running back, Cameron Scarlett. And so, looking at this matchup, man, I got to lean heavy towards Northwestern. As far as KJ Costello goes, I, I you know, there's a lot of people who see him and, and highly respect his ability to make certain throws, but... I'm not sold at all on KJ Costello. I feel like a lot of his game last year was heavily dependent on Arcega Whiteside. And if you don't remember Arcega Whiteside, he was number 19, about 6'5", 230. And that dude was a 50-50 ball machine. It was more like 90-10 cuz he was going to win almost every ball thrown his way. That dude had 14 touchdowns alone. And so I really think a lot of his production last year came from, uh, you know, balls thrown up to Arcega Whiteside and kind of just, you know, knowing that Arcega Whiteside is going to win it in the air. 
And I don't really see him having a guy like Whiteside to to come in and fill that role. Um, maybe tight end, you know, Kobe Parkinson, but we'll see. I think at the end of the day, the combination of Northwestern's stout defense combined with Stanford's inexperience on offense leads to a Northwestern win. My final score, Northwestern 31, Stanford 20. Once again, final score, Northwestern 31, Stanford 20. Second matchup I want to take a look at, we've got BYU versus Utah. Now, as much as it is a home game for BYU, obviously both teams are in Utah, so um, expect the Utah fans to travel pretty well. And so Utah right now, as we all know, if you've been watching and paying attention to college football, they've got a lot of hype. Some people are picking them to you know, squeeze their way into the college football playoff. A lot of other people have them winning the conference. And so overall, Utah is looking pretty good on paper. They returned 14 starters, seven on each side of the ball. And the obvious key guys returning on offense is, uh, you know, running back Zach Moss, who got injured late in the season, still racked up a thousand yards. And then quarterback Tyler Huntley and uh, Tyler Huntley also got injured. He was on a roll at one point in the season. And then they do return wide receivers, Britton Covey and Jalen Dixon. Um, so offensively, they are expected to pick up where they left off. On defense, they actually lose their top four tacklers, um, but do return their sack leader in Bradley Anai, who is, you know, probably going to be one of the better guys on the defensive front in the nation, not just in the Pac-12. Um, and he'll probably end up being an NFL draft pick. Um, their defense, though, you know, they lost uh, lots of experience. They they do have lots of upperclassmen on the defensive side of the ball that will be stepping in to replace the production, obviously lost to the draft. Uh, because last season, uh, this year, coming into this year, they lose two guys who had 100 tackles apiece. Um, and then they were supposed to have grad transfer from Penn State, Manny Bowen, who was supposed to be one of those guys to fill those fill that role. Um, he actually retired from football, I believe it was a month or so ago. So they are expected to be the best defensive front in the Pac-12 this year. And I, I think this game will give us a good, solid gauge as to where they're at. Um, but overall... Offensive production looks to be returning. Um, they do lose four of their top tacklers from a year ago, but they are expected to reload and, and do pretty well um, in those areas that they lost. BYU, on the other hand, returned a total of 17 starters, nine on offense and eight on defense. Key returners on offense include quarterback Zach Wilson, who I'm personally high on I'm super high on this guy uh, he was only a three-star coming out of high school but if you just watch him play he just it's they call it the eye test right and of course I'm no expert I'm no scout or anything of that sort 
But when you watch this kid play, he to me he could play at any Power Five program and find success. I I do think this kid can be really special, and I'm I'm expecting him to build on what he did last year as a true freshman. Um, at running back, a lot of people don't know, but they're bringing in a, a guy by the name of Tyson Williams, grad transfer from South Carolina, and go check out this dude's film. This guy can play. Um, he was playing at South Carolina and, and doing really well in the SEC. I think he's a big-time addition to this BYU team. And in the past, if you take a look, BYU have done a really good job at transitioning transfer running backs into their system and having success with them right off the bat. So I'm actually really excited to see how this offense um, is able to function. Um, And they do go ahead and return a few wide receivers back into their system. But with, with the new quarterback at Zach Wilson, wasn't really too worried about the wide receiver position um, because obviously he's going to have to develop chemistry. He was going to have to develop chemistry with whoever was at the wide receiver positions regardless because he he's, t- he's just taking over the job now and this will be his first full season at the quarterback position. Um, on defense, they do lose their two top la- uh, tacklers, including their sack leader in Corbin Kalfusi. Um but they are expected to fill that production through guys like um, Kyrus Tonga and Isaiah Kalfusi. And they do have a lot of depth to rotate through on that defensive front um, as far as you know, upperclassmen go. They do have some starts here and there from backups. But um, of course, with the experience that they return... Um, combined with you know upperclassmen that are expected to step up they should they should pick up in a pretty good position as far as from where they left off last year um overall i think this is going to be a fun matchup and a closer game than most people would expect this will probably be the best duel BYU has had at the quarterback and running back position in a in a while um, the duel on the other side is pretty damn good as well in Huntley and Moss. And this this matchup has been, you know, dominated by Utah, winning eight straight. Um, but something to keep an eye on is that the last three head-to-head matchups have been single-digit results. So even though Utah has dominated the head-to-head and and by having that eight-game winning streak... They haven't necessarily been blowouts. Now, with all that being said, this will probably be my, you know, one of my bolder picks in week one, especially with all the hype these guys are getting. Um, It's simple. I have BYU pulling the upset over the Utes at home. And while a lot of people may not see this happening, in rivalry games, in the way that BYU, um, that in the way that I expect BYU to be on offense this season, uh, man, I think it's just a perfect recipe for an upset. Week one, rivalry game, playing away. I got BYU winning 
final score, BYU 30, Utah 24. Once again, final score, BYU 30, Utah 24. Third matchup we're rolling into, Boise State versus Florida State. Florida State, obviously, the reason I picked this matchup is because Florida State is is uh, seen in the college football world as an elite program. And their, their coach is on the hot seat, Willie Taggart. And um, with all the talent they get, man, they're expected to do great things every season. And so Boise State, obviously known as a giant killer, and Florida State has been going through, you know, a terrible uh terrible terrible time basically since uh Jimbo Fisher left um so a lot of people want to see how they look coming into the season opener are they going to be back to you know that FSU standard um but let's jump into it Florida State returning a total of 16 starters eight on each side of the ball um still not sure whether or not that's a good or bad thing based on some of these guys' performance from last season. But hey, uh, they can really only go up, right, as they say. And really the story last year was their O-line. I I don't see how they can, you know, put out the same poor performance that they had in uh, 2018 coming into 2019 with a whole offseason to clean up those issues. I just don't see it happening. Uh, at quarterback... Obviously, uh, Blackman has already been named the starter with, you know, I don't really think it was a quarterback battle. They brought in transfer uh, Hornybrook, who was absolutely terrible. I would not trust that guy with the football. And uh, personally, I don't think we have a fair evaluation of uh, Blackman's skill set, especially with the type of pressure he had to endure, you know, last season in the pocket. I think really, you know, the fire that he was thrown into will prove to be invaluable to him moving forward in his collegiate career. And I think I think he'll be better from it, especially moving into the 2019 season. And then at running back, obviously they've got a highly touted guy in Cam Akers, who's of course going to need to play a massive role in getting Florida State back to its winning ways. At wide receiver, they returned their leader in reception touchdowns a year ago. Um, Tamari and Terry. The good news, I mean, if there is any good news to report, is that, you know, they typically have a plethora of talent to work with. Um, so they're going to have the athletes as they always do. They just need to obviously get them to play up to their potential. On defense, they returned four of their top five tacklers from a year ago, but we'll definitely need to see um, a lot of guys to step up in the pass rush. They just lost their sack leader, Brian Burns, to the draft. And so with Florida State finishing 5-7 and seven last year, I do think they will end the season as one of the most improved teams Um by the end of 2019 I really don't see them being as bad um, as last season or even worse I think they'll be much better coming into 2019 and um, 
I expect them to do fairly good. Obviously, I don't expect them to win their division or conference by any means, but I expect them to put out a better product. Boise State, on the other hand, returned 13 starters, 6 on offense, 7 on defense. Lots of new faces and key roles this year, especially at starting uh, at the quarterback position. They just named true freshman Hank Bachmeyer as their starting quarterback. Though he was a four-star, you know, coming out of high school, we're still just going to have question marks as to what these kids are capable of, right? Those, those you know, rankings, those stars, while they are a good gauge of the amount of talent that they have, we still don't know what what they're going to be able to put on the field. So, um, of course, it's 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 promising to have that guy, uh, four star coming out of high school, and so we'll see what happens. They do lose their two top wide receivers from last year, and those two guys accounted for sixteen touchdowns, eight apiece, and so they're hoping for guys. Um, like C.T. Thomas and John Hightower to step into those roles and to obviously work towards making those type, making that type of impact um, that was lost from a season ago. Also a big loss at the running back position with Madison gone. Um, that dude accounted for 1,400 rushing yards and 17 touchdowns. So lots of production loss on offense. And they're expecting these young guys to step in and just pick up where they left off. Um, guy who's stepping in at running back, sophomore Andrew Van Buren, he is expected to get the start. Um, but as as I continue to say, the, the obvious theme here on offense is the lack of experience from guys in key positions. Uh, but on defense, the good news is that they return three of their top five tacklers, sack leader and Curtis Weaver, with some quality guys in the secondary like uh, Kekaula Kanijo and Avery Williams. Now, as much as Boise has built you know, a strong brand behind beating some high-level college football programs, and as much as I'd love to see them as a you know, group of five team pull an upset, and I'm not sure it would be considered an upset, but you know, on paper it's an upset, FSU, Boise State whatever you want to call it. I'm just not sure that this is Boise's year to do it. Um, like I mentioned, they're they're having to replace productions at every single skilled position. A new quarterback, a new running back, new wide receivers. And so with that being said, it may not necessarily be that you know, FSU has become this great team again. It's just that Boise State isn't up to up to par with what we've seen from them in in the past. So, um, with that being said, I, I think after having an extra year to familiarize themselves in Coach Taggart's system, combined with uh, Boise's lack of experience on offense, I have. Florida State Seminoles winning this matchup. Final score, Florida State 38, Boise State 24. Once again, final score, Florida State 38, Boise State 24. The fourth matchup I want to go into is 
probably the most anticipated week one matchup with college football implications. And that is the matchup between Oregon and Auburn. Oregon uh, ranked 11th in the AP poll and Auburn ranked 16th in the AP poll. Now, if Oregon loses, I really can't see them finding a way to the college football playoff. That's that's just not something I think they can recover from. Just because at this point, the Pac-12 is continuing to lose respect as a conference, as well as from the committee. And I just don't see how a one-loss Pac-12 team could work their way into the college football playoff. And I think most of you would agree with me. If not, tell me why not. But outside of that, Auburn, on the other hand, if they did lose this game, they can easily recover and work their way back to the college football playoff simply because uh, the strength of schedule they have lined up is just a death sentence, right? Like I've said in the past. And they aren't expected to make it through that gauntlet, but the opportunities will be there for them if they do end up losing to Oregon in this matchup. Um, But yeah, let's have a look at Oregon. Obviously, there's a lot of hype coming into the 2019 year towards Oregon because they return so much freaking experience, right? 17 starters in total, 10 on offense, 7 on defense, and the key guys returning on offense are clear-cut. Obviously, Herbert at quarterback, who's projected to be a top 10 NFL draft pick and who passed on the draft to return. So many analysts are hyping this dude up, and um, as you can tell by the tone in my voice, (laughs) I'm not totally bought into that hype yet, Um, but let's move along. We have uh, the whole, you know, the whole unit up front returning, who is considered to be the most experienced O-line returning in college football for the 2019 year with 153 starts. Then moving to the running back position, We've got C.J. Verdell, who hit the 1,000-yard mark last year as a freshman. They do lose their number one wide receiver from a year ago, but they bring in grad transfer Jawan Johnson from Penn State. And so he can possibly step into that role for the Ducks. But obviously we'll see what happens. From what I've heard from a lot of Duck fans, man, it's just been, you know, Herbert had a lot of drop balls from his wide receivers. A lot of them didn't step up. Um, and, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens at the wide receiver position. And we'll see um, how how uh, how much hype they can live up to. But on defense, they get back pretty much their one of their leaders in defense in Troy Dye who finished the year with 115 tackles in 2018. And then they also add the number one recruit in the nation to their defensive front. And you might know his name, defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. And then moving to the secondary, 
Um, they also bring back some solid guys in coverage. Cornerback Thomas Graham, who had 18 pass breakups a year ago. And then corner, um, let's see, what's his, I'm not even sure, DeMont, DeMondor, Lenore? Interesting name. But yeah, corner DeMondor, Lenore, with uh, nine pass breakups last season. And then they return their uh, interception leader and free safety, Javon Holland. So the defense on paper is looking pretty good. Offense on paper is looking pretty good, but at the same time, that Oregon team finished 9-4 and four a season ago. We'll see what happens, right? Auburn. Let's take a look at Auburn. Return a total of 14 starters, 7 on each side of the ball. Bo Nix, true freshman, named starter less than a week ago. Super talented kid, um, number one dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. Five-star guy, got all the accolades. And so while all that is true, I do expect Gus Malzahn to dial up a few packages for his other quarterback by the name of Joey Gatewood, 6'5", 240-pound quarterback, who was a five-star athlete coming out of high school. And, you know, while neither of these guys have seen a snap in a college football game, there's a lot of optimism, right? Because of the the type of performances they put up in spring. So we still don't know what we're going to get when they hit the field. But like I said, there's a lot of optimism. And then moving over to the running back position, they've got Booby Whitlow. And if you haven't seen this guy play, he was a freshman last year, obviously a sophomore this year. The kid can flat out play. Um, he's got, he's got similarities to, um, DeAndre Swift, in my opinion, as far as how he cuts and how he's able to change direction while keeping his speed. And so with this guy, I expect him to have a freaking stellar season, uh, for the Tigers in his sophomore campaign, if he can stay healthy and then moving along to the wideouts, they lose two two of their top guys from a last uh from last year but they returned Seth Williams who even though he was you know inexperienced he actually tied for the most reception touchdowns on the team and then they also have arguably one of the fastest dudes in college football with Anthony Swartz but you know he did hurt his hand so right now he's a game time decision so we'll see what happens with that Behind um, those two guys, um, I've seen a lot of potential in redshirt freshman Matthew Hill. Uh, Matthew Hill. And so he might have to step in to Anthony Schwartz's spot, um, but I do think he can do a very good job in filling that role. The O-line, obviously, last year wasn't the best. A lot of people, you know, criticized them, and for good reason, but at the same time, it's worth considering that they they do play against pretty much the best D-line in the in college football um, because they play in the SEC. And so they are expected to be much better in 2019, especially after, you know, looking like a freaking kitchen fire a year ago. Um, 
And as I always say, when when these types of you know units or players or whoever it is, anybody being thrown into the fire, they're gonna be be better from it, right? Those types of things are just invaluable. So I think that's gonna play a big part in their success in 2019. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, we've obviously heard all the hype about this D-line. And while I, you know, do feel they didn't play up to their potential last year, it's no coincidence that two of them returned for their senior season after they easily could have made an NFL roster. Easily. Um, I personally think these guys are out here to make a statement and to, you know, obviously come out here and, and prove the doubters wrong. Um which I don't think they needed to do, but they're going to do it anyway. And at the linebacker position, they do have, you know, that's probably one of their biggest concerns coming into this year. Linebackers, after losing pretty much their two top guys. So right now they're looking at, which is kind of a theme um, throughout college football. Everyone's just reloading, right, and trying to figure out who's going to replace who. Um, while they do have lack of experience at the linebacker positions, these guys are very talented, are very highly recruited, four or five star guys. Um, but as, as I've continued to say, we'll see how they look on game day. The secondary does return four starters who had an average season a year ago and, um, I do think they'll be better coming into this this season. Um, overall, guys, this game is really probably one of the most important games of the season for Oregon because I think this is going to help us indicate whether or not Oregon is a contender or a pretender. I personally haven't bought into the whole Herbert hype, like I said earlier. And I don't think his O-line have faced a defensive front like this in their entire collegiate careers. They just make them different in the SEC, man. They just make them different. So we'll see what happens, right? It's going to be a battle up front, battle in the trenches between the O-line and the D-line. And I'm honestly not sure where this hype for the offensive line came from, right? Because... Uh, from what I'm hearing, most people are basing their hype based on the amount of experience they have, which is cool. Uh, but at the same time, all these guys returning were a part of a 9-4 and four season just a year ago. So we'll see what happens, right? It's a new season, new year, um, with everyone expected to be better than they were a year ago. Auburn, right? They're 6-2 versus the Pac-12. Coach Malzahn has a 5-1 record in season openers. And so, as I already mentioned, the battle up front is going to be the thing to watch. For me, the biggest question mark is Bo Nix. But I I really expect Auburn to, to try and take a lot of the pressure off of Nix and push to establish the run with Booby Whitlow. And because I believe that guy is one of the most talented running backs um, coming into this year. And a lot of people are going to 
get a chance to see that in week one. Uh, Oregon in last year's bowl game versus Michigan State. And so if you're familiar with Michigan State, they had one of the best defensive fronts in the country a year ago. And they bring back practically all their guys as well. And they only allowed Oregon seven points in that bowl game. And to me, that was pretty much a perfect foreshadowing of what we're going to see in this matchup with Auburn on Saturday. And so Auburn arguably having a better defensive front than Michigan State. And if it isn't obvious, while I'm hoping Oregon proves me wrong, it would be nice you know, to see a contender come out of the Pac-12, but they have to prove it. And so, like I said, if it wasn't obvious enough, I've got Auburn winning this game. My final score, Auburn 34, Oregon 21. Once again, final score, Auburn 34, Oregon 21. Moving along, we've got Houston taking on Oklahoma, number four in the nation. Just had to get a swig of water. And back to it. Now, over at Houston, obviously, uh, a lot of the hype, right, is pretty much behind the quarterback, Derek King. Overall, they returned 12 starters, 8 on offense, 4 on defense. And like I said, most importantly, they, they bring back that, that guy, that guy, quarterback Derek King, who was freaking off the charts last season, for lack of better words. And while also returning all of their starting wide receivers from last year, bringing back three out of the four um, offensive linemen from a year ago with experience from two new grad transfers from PAC, uh, excuse me, Power 5 programs. So just adding to the experience up front, up front that totals for 101 starts. So the offense is pretty much expected to pick up where they left off last season. Um, the real question mark is, is on defense. So they lose their two top tacklers um, who combined for 239 tackles a year ago, along with obviously the big man inside, Ed Oliver, to the draft. And so with only four starters returning, I think that could prove to be you know better for them, especially with the way last year ended up. Um, they're one of the worst defenses in the nation. One of the worst. So with only four starters returning, I think that might be, like I said, for the best. Um, but last year's squad, man, they are allowing 37 points a game, almost 500 total yards. Um, so we'll see what happens. They do bring back two of their top five tacklers. Uh, but overall, our big question mark on defense. Um, I guess the best thing you can take away from last year's defense is, um, you know, they did have a decent amount of injuries. And so a lot of underclassmen ended up seeing action. So that type of experience for those younger guys could prove to be invaluable, um, you know, when it comes to depth. So we'll see what happens. Um, but offensively, Houston expect to return, pretty much get right back on track where they left off. And uh, defensively, a question mark. But um, I'm not sure they could get any worse than they than they were last year. So 
Uh, I think they're optimistic on that side of the ball. Oklahoma, of course, bring back um, four starters on offense, eight starters on defense. So 12 starters as a whole, pretty much exact same as Houston. 12 starters, just opposites. Four on offense, eight on defense. And so as most of you guys already know, the starting quarterback um, will be the Alabama transfer, Jalen Hurts, who's practically faced the best defenses in college football and had lots of success in his you know collegiate career making three college football playoff appearances. So pretty much everyone is expecting him to plug right into Coach Riley's system without any issue. Obviously, except for me, if you've heard my other podcast segment. Um, but right now, the biggest concern at this point is probably the guys up front after losing four um, offensive linemen, four starters. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. They're expected to reload well enough at those positions. And then, obviously, they bring back the duo at running back in Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, who combined for over 2,000 yards and 25 touchdowns a year ago. So, they're... They're going to be just fine at the running back position. Out wide, OU has um, pretty much consistently brought in high-caliber wide receivers. So along with the running backs and the wide receivers, there isn't really a big worry, um, especially bringing in the the standout Jaden Hazelwood, who's probably going to make an immediate impact along with uh, returning C.D. Lamb who caught 11 touchdowns a year ago. And the dude averaged 17 yards of reception. So in in total, they returned two of their top three wide receivers and tight end from last year, who combined for 25 reception touchdowns. And um, yeah, I I think one of their their more under-the-radar guys that's going to see more uh, targets this year is going to be their tight end. And I believe his name is Calcaterra. Um, On the defensive side of the ball, I'm not even sure what they're going to look like this year because, you know, last year they said they were going to improve, they were going to be better, but they still weren't better. So they do bring back eight starters, right, which doesn't really mean much at this point because of the type of statistics these guys allowed to their opponents a year ago. 33 points a game, 450 yards a game. And so, really, if they can even put together an average season, they're probably going to walk through the Big 12 without any real opposition. But until we see it, right? Until we see it, we won't believe it. So, they are expected to be better, um, especially with the new defensive coordinator. But as always, we don't know what better looks like till game day. And... um, so in, in closing out this matchup, this game to me has shootout written all over it. The biggest question mark is Jalen Hurts, right? How's he going to look in this system? Is he going to plug right into um, the Oklahoma way, into Coach Riley's um, offensive scheme? And how is he going to look in a shootout, 
right? Because during his time in, in Alabama, the kid has never really been in a shootout where it's just been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? He's had a He's had a stout defense to rely on as well as a solid running game, which I think he'll have, obviously, here at Oklahoma, but the defense isn't really existent. So my question continues to be, will he be able to be that guy to shoulder the load and take over a game, right? Take over a game like Baker and Kyler have done in the past. And so I believe this game is going to be decided by the defense, who can get us a couple of stops, or force one to two turnovers. And so I'm going to continue to go bold here in week one with my second upset pick, with number four Oklahoma going down at home to Houston in the season opener at home. Final score, Houston 44, Oklahoma 41. Once again, final score, Houston 44, Oklahoma 41. Woo! So, we'll see how those matchups play out. Um, I wasn't going to cover the Notre Dame game uh, versus Louisville, but I just don't really see any real reason for Notre Dame to lose this game. Louisville just looked terrible, right? Um, I do think Louisville is going to be better under the new head coach, but at this feel, uh, at this point, I don't, I don't really feel like they're they're going to be, you know, pushing for a division championship or anything like that. I believe they're in rebuild mode. And so yeah, they're probably already looking towards next season. Um, notable games to, to look out for. Obviously, USC um, versus Fresno State. And so Clay Helton, another guy on the hot seat. And uh, you just you just can't have these types of poor seasons at USC with the type of talent that you're bringing in. Um, and Fresno State ended last season 12 and two. Now, while a lot of people aren't optimistic about USC, uh, I don't see why they won't be better this year. Um, they pretty much returned practically all their offensive production, and then defensively lose Cam Smith, but bring in highly touted linebackers like uh, Palia Gauteote, as well as um, Solomon Tuliaupupu, um, as well as a few other big names, right? Uh, Their defensive unit, man, they are very young, a lot of sophomores, but I think they'll they'll be one of the better defensive units in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, if not, eventually working their way in, into being one of the best in the nation. But they are they are one of my breakout picks in 2019. And uh, looking at Fresno State, like I said, they were 12 and two last year, but they they pretty much lose all of their production on offense. Quarterbacks gone. Four out of four out of their uh, top five tacklers on defense are gone. They lost a few wide receivers, um, so I don't I don't see why USC doesn't win this game. Um, I don't I don't really see an upset in the cards for Fresno. I've got USC winning, and then we've got the Virginia Tech 
Boston College game. And Virginia Tech, I believe they returned 16 starters in total, 10 on defense, 6 on offense. And Boston College, as much as I like their style of play, they do lose a, a decent amount of production on defense. And I feel like they're kind of the Wisconsin of the ACC, right? They love to run the ball a lot, and their quarterback play is questionable, and they also depend heavily on their defense. So with the loss of production on defense, with their one-dimensional uh, offensive attack in you know pretty much hitting the hole with A.J. Dillon and then Virginia Tech, I just feel like they're very motivated coming into this season, especially returning 10 guys on defense. Um, they had a... They really just had one of their their worst seasons a year ago. And so I expect them to come out and beat Boston College in their opener um, with no issue. Moving on, um, the last notable game I wanted to go ahead and touch on is South Carolina versus North Carolina. Now, UNC ended last year 2-9. and nine. They're going to be starting a true freshman quarterback um, this year, obviously under a new head coach, Mac Brown, who's had success at Texas. Uh, but I think this is just a different, we're in a different time, different era with a different college football environment. And uh, not to say that he can't turn this, this, turn this team around and turn it into a contender in the ACC, but I don't think it'll happen this year. South Carolina, on the other hand, uh, bring in obviously... Feaster from Clemson, who's expected to make an immediate impact. They bring back the quarterback. Um, they bring back a good amount of production. I think they brought back a total of 13 starters, 7 on offense, 6 on defense. Uh, but overall, not that necessarily South Carolina is so much better. I just think UNC won't be up to um, up to that level of play that South Carolina will bring um, come game day. Um, Yeah, with all that being said, it is week one, so it's obviously going to be the toughest week to judge because all of our predictions are based on speculation. But based on the information I have, right, these are the teams I'm rolling with. I'm comfortable with these picks. Um, Obviously, two of them are upsets. Very bold. You guys may not agree. What do you guys think? Right? What are your predictions on these games? Are there any games that I didn't talk about that I should have? And yeah, pretty much think I covered it all. With that being said, guys, as always, I appreciate you all for listening to the podcast, supporting the podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and leave an honest review. Links in the description for the podcast, as well as my social media accounts. Hope you guys all have a great rest of your day, evening, or night. This is Just Another Critic signing off. Peace.